0: and gradually you just ended up eating up the miles and just over time it suddenly you're at 35 miles and suddenly you're at 40 and then once you get there, it's like, I've only got 12 miles to go.
1: This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 162, Sarah Williams' Tough Girl Podcast and Marathon to Sobs. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. Today I have with us a fellow podcaster, Sarah Williams, but she does a whole lot more besides just podcasting. She is an author of multiple books. She is a blogger. She is a motivational speaker, but she's here today because she's a marathoner and also a mountain climber, and we're going to talk about her adventure sports and some of the things that she has going on today. Sarah, welcome to the program.
0: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here.
1: Sarah, it's an honor. It really is. I am excited to visit with you, not only about your adventures, but also about your podcasting world. So this is going to be a lot of fun for me.
0: Oh, awesome. It'll be a lot of fun for me as well.
1: So Sarah is in the UK, which you may have assumed by her accent. Sarah, will you fill in the details about who you are and what you're up to there?
0: Absolutely. So my name is Sarah Williams. I'm an author, blogger, motivational speaker, marathon runner, And I do so much more than that. But I didn't always start out this way. So originally, I actually spent eight years working in banking before I decided enough is enough. This cannot be my life. And I decided to change it. So I headed off to travel the world and go on adventures. And that's when I decided the things that I was most passionate about were travel were having adventures were motivating and inspiring women and girls and that's why I started up Tough Girl Challenges which is my company and that led me to creating my podcast the Tough Girl podcast where I interview inspirational women from around the world and and help to share their story
1: That sounds like a life well lived very cool <laughs> So it started with a lot of travel then where all have you been
0: Oh it was fantastic I headed off to South America and I flew into Lima in Peru and I sort of backpacked all the way round Peru, went and visited Machu Picchu, headed down to Bolivia, visited Death Road, cycled down Death Road on a mountain bike, headed down to uh, Santiago, flew over to Easter Island, onto Mendoza. Climbed a live volcano as well, um, called the Volcano Bilicari, which actually about three months after I'd been climbing there, it actually erupted. Wow. So <laughs> I timed that one quite well. And then, uh, yeah, it was back over to Rio to do some hang gliding over Rio and visit the favelas before flying home. And during that sort of year out, I spent six months chalet hosting, so working over in Switzerland and headed over to Africa as well to go and climb Kilimanjaro. So.
1: chalet hosting i'm gonna bring that one up here because you wrote a book about this
0: <laughs> i did so um i'd always loved i'd always loved skiing but i'd never i never got really good at it and i started quite late and you know if you go for like a week skiing holiday you know you finding your feet on the first couple of days and then by the time the week's over you're starting to get much better and I just thought well why don't I take this time why don't I take this opportunity to go and spend six months in the mountains and work on my skiing and just have an awesome time and and that's what I ended up doing but I was I was slightly older than a lot of people doing it so I was in I was thinking I was 32 and everybody I worked with were 18 19 just left school or just left university and um it was quite interesting, like different situations would come up when you're working with the guests and various problems would arise. And I think because I'd had more life experience, I sort of knew how to handle the situations. I knew how to to cope with a challenging guest, to cope with a difficult guest, and um and I just thought a lot of young people don't necessarily know like how to get the job, how to act at the interview, what to expect when they get out there. And I thought, well, why don't I write it all down, which is what I did. So I did um, Chalet Hosting, your step-by-step guide, and it takes you through everything you need to know from the interview, what you need to wear, how to do your research, from what to expect in the slopes, how to use cake currency, how not to pay for drinks when you're out there, (laughs) uh, how to get the cleaning done super fast or the cooking super fast so you can actually spend more time out on the slopes, having a great time skiing. So, yeah, chalet hosting was an awesome experience.
1: Very cool. You know, that's one thing that is so neat about people that decide that they're going to make, build, I'll say, an adventure-based lifestyle, right? They find innovative ways to do the things that they love, and this is just another example of that. I think that's great.
0: Cool. Thank you.
1: Yeah. So you just returned from the Marathon de Saab. I Tell have. Tell us about that.
0: So... The Marathon of Marathon de Sabs it was French for Marathon of the Sands and it is a multi stage ultra endurance race which takes place over in the Sahara Desert um, over in Morocco. So it's over six days. It's a marathon every day, with one of the days it being a double marathon. And it is a a huge challenge to undertake because not only are you having to deal with cope with all the running that you're having to do, but you also need to be self sufficient. So you have to carry all of your own equipment, you have to carry all of your own food, you need to carry everything you need to survive for the week, apart from water, which they provide, which is rationed, and they also provide a place to sleep at night, which is a tent, but it's not like a normal tent. It's like you know, black piece of cloth stuck up with sticks. So it's an incredibly challenging environment it 's an incredibly difficult challenge because of the conditions that you 're in from the heat of the desert to the distances that you 're covering to the sleeping arrangements so yeah the, the marathon des Alves, that was my that was my big challenge actually and back in it was actually back in September two thousand and fourteen I decided I wanted to do this challenge because I, because I work with a lot of young girls and a lot of women, and I talk about challenge and change and you know, facing your fears I thought to myself well I need to talk the talk as well as you know walk the walk I can't just be going around talking about this I need to do you know a challenge that actually scares me and gets me outside of my comfort zone and I'd, I'd run quite a few marathons before and I felt quite comfortable with like a marathon distance but I'd never done an ultra um, endurance race and I'd never done anything quite like this before And this race had always piqued my interest. It's known as the Discovery Channel actually named it as the toughest foot race on Earth um, because it's so 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 challenging. And and I decided that that was the race that I was going to going to do. So it's actually taken me about eighteen months to get to to get to the start line of the race because when I started training for the Marathon des Sables. I threw myself into it. I thought the more miles I can run, the better. The more training I can do, the better. And I love being fit. I love being active. I love getting outside. So I was doing strength training. I was doing running, walking, yoga, boxing, swimming. You name it, I was doing it. And because of what I do, I'm actually very flexible with my time. So I could almost train like twice a day. And I went from, you know, doing very little running in the summer to being at marathon distance in October and I was feeling fantastic, and I felt amazing. I was all ready, you know, to do this race in uh, the following the following April in 2015. But it got to the stage where I started. I started feeling very tired, very lethargic, very run down. I was getting muscle cramps. I was losing a lot of weight. I was constantly eating. And I went for a run at Christmas. I was, I was so tired and I was so exhausted. And I'm a big believer that motion creates emotion. So if you're not feeling great and, you know, you're feeling quite low and you're feeling quite down, best thing to do is get up, go to the gym, go and do some exercise, get out into the fresh air and you'll feel so much better. And I, I headed out and, you know, I'm, I was used to running, you know, 10, 12, 15 miles and feeling strong and I've always been a big believer in mind over matter if you you know if you can think it you can achieve it and you can do it and I was running along and I was saying to myself in my head I was saying come on Sarah keep running you can do this you can do it and I hadn't even made it half a mile when my body just started shutting down on me and I just I just couldn't run I could hardly walk I ended up sitting down on like on a bench on the promenade just sort of sobbing my heart out I was just like this is horrendous because I couldn't understand what was wrong with me and I just I just didn't get it because I'd always been so used to being so fit so I ended up you know walking home which took me forever just climbing under the covers and just not knowing what to do and eventually I went to I went to see a doctor and, and you know, he did, couldn't work out what was wrong with me. And then somebody else was like, oh, you've got chronic fatigue. Your adrenal glands have been slammed. You're severely anemic. I had candida. I had all of these hosts of different problems. And I was still saying to the doctor in January, but can I do this race? But can I do the mm. Marathon des Arbes? And he was just like, you, you cannot do this race. Like I cannot sign you off from it. And that was a big sort of shock for me. And I ended up postponing the race for a year and it took me about 6 months to get my health back up to speed again and i started with the endurance you know building up my uh, building up my my physical strength again and building up my endurance so by the time the marathon de Sabs came around this april i you know I, I was pretty much at my strongest and at my fittest but mentally there was a part of me which was still thinking can i can i do this i sort of knew that i could do it but part of me was scared that I would get to that point where I'd overload my body again because it's such a such a challenging race. So it was almost getting to the start line was actually my goal. Of, you know what I wanted to achieve. So for me, once I got to the start line, which was fit, happy, healthy, strong, I didn't really care about the race and how it went. I wasn't worried about competing in it. I wasn't going for a place. I wasn't going for a position. I was just going for, for completion really, and just getting around it. So yeah. Mm, Do
1: you, that's, that's an amazing story. So the, the reality is you had two races you had to run. The first one was just to get to the starting line.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and it was amazing. The, it, it's really interesting when you've got a big challenge or something which is outside your comfort zone. It's that that feeling of uncertainty that feeling of not knowing and it's really i know it sounds strange but it's it's a really uncomfortable feeling it's not pleasant but you actually have to have those feelings in order to grow and to stretch yourself and to to develop and to and to make your comfort zone larger so it was really um it was it was really actually tough uh, sort of getting to the race and then once you're over there in the desert so you you fly in you're on the you know you fly in with all your your equipment, you're flying on a plane with everybody else doing the MDS. There's about 400 people from the UK who do it. You're then driven out in a coach for six hours into the middle of the desert. And before you know it, you know, you're wearing your gear, you've got your backpack on, you're going through all the safety checks. You're being briefed by Patrick Bauer, who is the French man who actually originally started the race 31 years ago. And then, you know, the gun goes off, there's music playing, the highway to hell and suddenly you're running (laughs) and it's just um yeah it's it's incredibly tough I mean I remember on the first day there was about I think about 46 people dropped out on the first day Mm. it it started off with three kilometers very sort of flat a little bit rocky but okay and then it went into 12 kilometers of June, so it was up and down up and down and you're running on sand and it's and you go over june you'd be thinking oh the checkpoint's going to be soon the checkpoint's going to be soon and it wasn't and it was just it was very it was very i don't know it was just very hard it was like wow i didn't i didn't almost expect it to be as hard as it was but then you sort of get into the flow and it's not like running a normal marathon so if you do a marathon in say four hours then you basically need to add another two hours on. So you're on your feet for a long, long time. So I think the first day ended up taking me about seven and a half hours. So it was quite, yeah, it was quite interesting.
1: Well, running in sand, that has to be a whole new ball game. I can't imagine how difficult it would be to do that distance day after day in sand.
0: And And it's also the heat as well. You've got to take into consideration. So one of the one of the big things about the Marathon des Sables is your feet because so many people end up getting blisters, end up losing their sole of their foot. Um, one of the things you have to do is you put gaiters on your shoes. So you sew this sort of Velcro around the bottom of your shoes and you attach the gaiters over the top to stop the sand getting in. And um, it's also about the foot preparation. Uh, so I was, I was rubbing like not cream onto my feet. I was um, making sure I spent a lot of time on my feet. I had the right socks on. I bought trainers. I bought two pairs of trainers originally, one to run in and one to do the race. So one to train in and one to do the race in. And they're about half a size bigger because your feet can end up swelling in the heat. And so there's lots of these sort of technical aspects that you need to consider and, and work into. But running in the sand, like running down the sand dunes is amazing. It's, you know, you take one step forward, you sort of slide an extra half a meter. And that is absolutely fabulous going up the sand dunes it's there's you're you're just burning so much energy so you either have to follow in somebody else's footprints and just step 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 all the way up and my tactic was just not to stop just keep on walking till you got to the very top then you could take a breather because if you stop halfway up it's it's really difficult to get your rhythm going again
1: oh i can imagine so this is six days in a row of marathons and one day is a double yeah so you have amazing
0: it's, oh, it's, it's a, so the first, you have the first three days and the first day was maybe 24 miles, the next day was, uh, I think, 23 miles, the third day was maybe 26 miles. And then the fourth day is, it's known as the long day. And it's, this day it was going to be 52 miles, so 80 kilometres. And um, we started at 8.30 in the morning and there was going to be seven checkpoints. So as you go, and I think I ended up some drinking something ridiculous, like 22 litres of water throughout that day. It's just, um, it's just mind boggling, but I'd never gone longer than 26 miles. And so for me, it was all about, well, how do I approach this day? And it's all about breaking it down. And not, I didn't even think about the long day for the first three days because otherwise it would just be too overwhelming. And so I'm on the long day, instead of thinking, okay, how am I going to run 52 miles? My first thought was, okay, let's just get to checkpoint one. That's the first goal. And you do your, you know, your first six miles, get to checkpoint one, then checkpoint two, then checkpoint three. And before you know it, you're suddenly at 26 miles and then suddenly you're at 30 miles. And What's interesting is you've gone through so the start of the day it's not that hot and then you know you get to twelve o'clock, one o'clock, the heat starts bearing down. It's getting up into the high thirties, early forties, so it's incredibly hot, sweltering weather. You're taking salt tablets, you're taking electrolytes, and I'm I don't I have a very sort of like high fat, high protein diet. So I actually run on an empty stomach and do fat burning. So I think it's called like keto. Mm. So I actually I started I didn't eat breakfast, I just start you know, off I went. So I actually ate very little during the day. I had like a few hammer bars during the day. But what I found phenomenal was just the energy that I still had. So I got to 30 miles and I climbed this massive dune and got over the top of it. And I was looking down. It was almost that, I think it's, you know, that twilight period where it's cooled down a lot. It was five or six in the evening. It was still light. You could still see. And for about a thousand meters in front of me, all I could see were these sand dunes, but it was all rolling sand dunes that were going downhill you had the the stars kind of starting to come out you had the moon starting to shine and the weather was cool enough to run and I was uh, I was just thinking this is why you train Sarah this is why you're here is to is to run this and and I was just off I don't know where the energy came from I don't know where I got this boost but you know I had my backpack on And just down those sand dunes, running down the sand dunes, running across the flat, running down the next sort of sand dunes, running down the flat. And it was just the biggest boost ever. And then by the time I'd finished this sort of thousand meters, maybe a little bit longer, it was suddenly dark. So it's headlights on. And, you know, it was quite difficult to see, but you'd be power walking. And I got this another like sort of salt flats almost, like very dry, very flat ground. And I was thinking, I can run this. And I just don't know where it came from. I had my heart rate monitor on. I had my watch on. And I could see that my heart rate was still very low. And I thought, well, "This, this is why you did all those miles in training. This is why you had those back-to-back days is so that you don't walk this. You run this. And I can still remember I, I turned my music up and, you know, Britney came on and Spice Girls and, you know, Simply the Best, Tina Turner, all this incredibly powerful ballads. And I was just running along, singing out loud. And I could see people ahead of me walking. And I'd be thinking, right, just have to get to that person. Just get to that person. I'd get to that person. I'd overtake them. Then I'd see two more people. I'd be like, right, let's get to that person. Let's overtake them. And gradually, you just ended up eating up the miles. And just over time, if suddenly you're at 35 miles, and suddenly you're at 40. And then once you get there, it's like, I've only got 12 miles to go. And it's a, it's very, very strange, but I think one of the things that helped me was that we were all tracked. So we had these trackers on us and so people at home could actually zoom in and see us. So with this little blue dot on the screen and I knew, I knew that I had a whole host of family supporting me. I had a whole host of the tough girl tribe supporting me and I knew people would be watching me. And I just kept thinking of the people who sat behind their computer screens, almost screaming at it saying, God, Sarah, keep running. You can do this. And I had, must have been hundreds of voices in my head of people I knew who believed in me and, and, and that support really carried me through. And I could just imagine my little blue dot moving quicker than all the other blue dots and just getting ahead and just getting to the final checkpoint and just getting into camp, you know, before two in the morning, which was my goal. And it was, yeah, it was, a, it was an incredible day. I have to say, like most people would say, the long day, 52 miles, horrendous, you know. Whereas it's actually one of my highlights. It was one of the days where I realized, wow, like how I – I have no idea how the human body can do what it can do. But for me, running those 52 miles was – it was like breaking a barrier in my mind over what could be done and what could be achieved and just what you can – get through when you decide on your goal and actually you break it down so it was a it was a phenomenal day for me and I ended up I ended up coming in 341 out of over a a thousand people and uh and that shocked me I was like wow (laughs) you know for someone who was sort of bedbound a previous Christmas it was it was just a very special day
2: Action cameras evolved quickly and are no longer just for recording your adventures. The new PsyOI Iris 4G shares experiences as they happen. The connected camera is built specifically for action sports. It's rugged, wearable, and goes places you won't take your smartphone. The best part? Broadcast from the great outdoors with a simple touch. Your friends can watch live or come back for an instant replay. No downloads, no editing. Now that's progress. Visit sioye.com and share your next adventure live. Bentgate Mountaineering,
1: located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Spring has sprung, but there's still a lot of great skiing in the backcountry, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and splitboarding gear. Bentgate carries the premier brands, including... Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Rocky Mountain Underground, Rosignol, Solomon, Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in and they will set you up with a proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment, including the latest skis, boots, splitboards, beacons, shovels, and probes. Bentgate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hands-on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Year. Be sure to check bentgate.com for their full product selection as well as updates on all of their events. Well, congratulations! That Thank is a beautiful you. story, a beautiful recovery, and a beautiful race. No.
0: The, the pain only came after.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we always have to pay for it later.
0: Oh, definitely.
1: Oh, that's great. Well, Sarah, let's shift gears a little bit. Your your whole website, blog, podcast, and even books are about motivating others, especially women, to go out and become adventurous and do things. So you just told us about what I would call a super adventure And for Mm -hmm. people that, you know, are still on the couch, it sounds like it's it's completely out of reach. And and I think sometimes people hear it, it's motivational, but they think, oh, I could never, and then that's the end of it. But how do you get people to say, no, I'm going to start, and I'm going to do this, and then this... And get people where they're doing adventures that are obtainable.
0: Absolutely. Well, I I think it's one of the things that I noticed. I was going around visiting a lot of schools and talking to them about, you know, my, my traveling, uh, you know, climbing Kilimanjaro and some people just got it and they understood that actually you need to challenge yourself if you want to grow and develop as a person. But equally at the same time, I was also made very aware that there aren't very many female role models out in the media or you know, out there where, which girls and young women can aspire to be, because if you think of an adventurer, if you think of, um, you know, an athlete, you generally think, or, or I certainly did, it was, well, all adventurers, you know, are men. It's all about beers and biceps and, You know, female sports teams get very little exposure. They get very little sponsorship. They get very little support. And so women and girls don't necessarily realize that they can go out and do these things. And what can start happening, or especially in the UK, girls get to 15, 16 years old. Suddenly, you know, they don't want to be members of sports teams. They don't want to sweat. They don't want to be, you know, they don't want to be seen as uncool. So they stop, they start limiting themselves already. So they stop playing sports. They stop being active. They stop doing all the things that can that can um, that can help them keep them healthy and fit and can give them, you know, team building skills, leadership skills, time management, delegation, all these wonderful skills that you can get from being active and fit and doing all of it. And I thought to myself, well I can either be one of these people who sits back and just complains, says, well, you know, it's not fair that women don't get sponsorship. It's not fair that women never get talked about in the papers. It's it's not fair they don't get this exposure that they need. And, or I can do something about it. And so I thought, well, how else can I reach other women and girls? And that's why I started my podcast, The Tough Girl Podcast. And I kept coming across these incredible women with these amazing stories. And I thought they're just these awesome role models. And if girls and women could know about what these women had done, Ordinary women, women who have who are married with with children, women who have never been sporty when they were younger, women who were told you don't look like a runner, women who've been told, oh, you can't do that because you're too small. You can't do that because you're too tall. You can't do that for whatever reason. And I just thought if these girls could hear these stories, it might just get them thinking, "Well, well, hold on if they can do it. Why can't I do it? And 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 that's what the Tough Girl podcast is all about. It's not about making women feel bad because they're not running across the Sahara, but it's hopefully getting them to think, well, okay, if I am, you know, I'm a bit scared of joining the gym, but actually I could do it or I could go for a walk or I I could get outside or I could go and do a Zumba class or I should take up weightlifting or any of these things. Hopefully it will just give them that encouragement to know, that actually just because they don't look a certain way doesn't mean that they can't go out there and, and follow their dreams.
1: Absolutely, you know when we started our show, we uh, we were looking for female guests because yeah. it seemed like we had more male guests that were on. And we said, no, dude, women are adventurers too. We got to find these gals. And then we've had a flood of women that that have inspired us and shown us the amazing things that ladies. Can and do, it's it's not a small crowd anymore. You know there are. Sometimes I think we're having more female guests than male guests now, which is delightful. I think it's fantastic. But I love what you're doing to shift that mindset to get people realizing that it's not a guy thing; it's a life thing.
0: Absolutely, and it's just it's honestly just really amazing. I mean, just to give you an example, there's um, there's one lady called Ari Beresford Webb. And she decided that she was going to run around the coastal path. The coastal path of Wales um, was opened up. So you could actually run around the whole perimeter of Wales, which is just over a thousand miles. And so it takes about, I think it's about 39 days to run it, about a marathon a day. And Ari, Ari said this herself that, you know, she doesn't look like a runner. You know, she's maybe five foot five. People would look at her and think, oh, you know, she can't do it. And she dealt with all of this negativity. And she was so mentally prepared that she'd actually thought about, well, what would happen if I fell? What would happen if I twisted my ankle? What would happen if I broke my leg? And she thought, well, if that happens, I'm going to need crutches. So she got crutches, and they were in her support vehicle. That was how prepared that she was. (laughs) And it was just, you just meet women like this who do these incredible challenges, but they're just, they're ordinary women. And it's just it's just so fabulous thing. I do hope it, I think it is actually, I think there's a real wave at the moment of these amazing women coming out of the woodwork i mean i know you've had some phenomenal guests on your show whether you know anna um anna mcnuff you know running the full length of new zealand you know absolutely phenomenal and it's just it's amazing that these stories are starting to come out and I think that's the power of social media when you when you blog about it when you tweet about it when you put podcasts out there the message is getting out there slowly and mainstream media is almost getting ignored to a certain extent because people are getting their news now from social media and twitter and If you're out there, you can self-publish your books, you can put your stuff on YouTube, you can write about the adventures that you're doing, you can put them up on a blog, and people will find them. There's always people out there who want to read these stories, who want to hear more about them, and so the audience is there.
1: Oh, no doubt about it. I found it really fun in a recent episode, episode 159. um, Gavin Hennigan was talking about a lot of the adventures that he's done, and he's done extreme adventures all over the world. Um, It just another ultra runner and climber, and he's also a deep sea commercial diver. And it's, it's a cool show, but the reason I bring it up is I loved what he said. Toward the end, he said, you know, you really got to be humble about this because here I am doing all these amazing big adventures, but the reality is my mom raised four kids alone, and the tenacity and the hard work and the dedication that was required for her to pull that off is so much more amazing than what I've done. And I wanted to point that out, Sarah, because when uh, when people, male or female, just do the daily grind day to day, and they step up to the plate time and time again and do what must be done to to raise a family and to move the you know move the the next mile down the road, I think it's an amazing thing, and those people need to be honored for that as well. And I think then they also need to be reminded, you have a life besides just this. It's time to go out and do some adventures of your own. And I think that what you're doing with your podcast and your blog, I love it because you're motivating people to do that. So your podcast is called Tough Girl Podcast.
0: Yeah. Oh, can I just quickly say, do you know what I think is amazing about, you talked about his mum, but what a role model that she was for him and the the skills that she put down to him about perseverance, about hard work, about commitment, all of those things have obviously really influenced him and in what he's gone on, got on to do. And it is, you know, I think sometimes people do, they get so sucked up into existing and just doing the daily grind that sometimes they just need to look up and realise there is a life that, you know, they've got to spend some time on their themselves. I'm not saying it's, um, you know, to quit their jobs and go and be an adventurer, but actually, is it doing something for them? Is it going to the gym once a week? Is it having a nice bath? Is it, you know, taking time out to, to, to read a book and, and, you know, just have that quality time. So sorry. Yes. Carry on. Carry on.
1: <laughs> I agree completely with that. You bet. So we can hear a lot more of this on your tough girl podcast. How can people listen to your show?
0: they can listen on itunes they can listen on stitcher they can listen on soundcloud i've also recently uploaded um all of the audio onto youtube as well so a whole host of different ways to listen
1: right on so if they google tough girl podcast they'll find you one place or another
0: absolutely they will
1: that's cool so let's talk a little bit about kilimanjaro you wrote a book about this climb as well so i want to hear the kilimanjaro story
0: yeah, it was well this was during uh, my time off from uh, when I when I'd left my job and I was thinking, Well if I go back into paid employment, employers are gonna be saying to me, Oh well, Sarah, you know, what have you done with your time? And I couldn't really sort of say, Oh well I've had a wonderful time travelling the world and going on all these adventures and I was constantly being asked about Kilimanjaro, you know, my my training, what was it like, how did I cope with the altitude, um, was it really that tough? And I thought, well, why don't I write it down and just share it all? And so that's what I ended up doing, but Kilimanjaro was fantastic it was actually how it came about is uh, my younger sister was turning 30 and she decided instead of getting all depressed about this big old milestone that she would write a list of 30 things to do before she turned 30 and her number one thing was climbing Kilimanjaro and so she said to me at Christmas do you fancy climbing Kilimanjaro and I was like absolutely sign me up I'm ready for it and it was a phenomenal experience. I mean, it was, um, Kilimanjaro is, is, is what's known. It's the, it's the tallest mountain in Africa, but it's also what's known as a leveler because anybody can walk this mountain. The youngest person, I think was six years old and the oldest person has been like 82 years old. And as long as you can you could walk and you've got a good level of fitness, you can get to the top of this mountain. The only things that are going to stop you are things like altitude sickness, which you, you have no control of. You have no idea how your body's going to cope when you get to high altitude. So, so we decided to go down the Rongai route, which is a stunning route, and you walk through all of these different vegetations and different pathways from jungle to – I'm going to forget all the different types of pathways now, but um, you sort of walk all the way through – and it's it's a very beautiful and gentle walk. And the first sort of um, five days or so, I was really thinking, oh, this is not so tough. You know, six or seven hours walking and you walk very, very slowly on Kilimanjaro. You have all the porters coming past and they all shout to you, poli, 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 which in Swahili means slowly, slowly, because the slower you walk, the more chance you have of allowing your body to acclimatize better. So if you're drinking lots of water, you're walking slowly, um It just gives you a better chance of reaching the top. And summit night was like no other night I've experienced. You walk during the day. You get to base camp at sort of 3 in the afternoon. You then go and rest. You're woken up at 11 o'clock at night. You go outside your tent with all your gear on, your, 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 your duffel coat. You've got your head torch on. You've got your thermals on. And then you start walking. And it's pitch black. And all you can see is that little spotlight in front of you. There's no music playing. There's nothing going on apart from just you and your thoughts. And step after step after step, you're taking and you're walking on this shaly ground. And it's like the end is never going to get there. And it's quite interesting. I remember having these horrendous thoughts in my head. It was, you know, why am I doing this? God, I'm so tired. My feet hurt. This is a stupid idea. I'm never, you know, I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do it. And I could feel my whole body, like my shoulders started to droop. My pace got even slower. And it suddenly just clicked. I don't know what it was. I suddenly just thought to myself, Sarah, if you continue to think this way, you are never going to get to the top. You cannot think this way. You can't have these negative thoughts. You need to take, to take control of your mind. And I did. I started thinking, okay, it's one step in front of the other. I can do this. I'm going to get to the top. I'm just going to follow this person in front of me. And because I changed my thoughts and I changed from being negative to to being positive, I got almost more powerful. I stood up straight and my shoulders went back. I was more purposeful in my in my walk and in my step, and it made such a phenomenal difference and I can still remember reaching uh, the first point you reach is actually called gilman 's point, and you 're about three hundred meters from the very summit, and you get there. And you've got this stunning sunrise. The sun is coming up. You can see the curvature of the earth. And you're just looking out and just thinking, this is absolutely phenomenal. And you can look down and you can see this tiny, tiny base camp where you've walked from. And it may have taken you sort of eight hours to get there. But it's just, it's it's a crazy place to be. And we had um, a few other people who got there. And a couple of the guys, their legs went from underneath them. We had another person who started vomiting. Um, some somebody else started hallucinating. One of my, one of my favorites is this, um, this wonderful Irish guy called Fergal. He decided he was actually really tired. And he thought, you know, what? I'm just going to curl up in a little ball on the top and have a sleep. And obviously, when you're over when you're over 8,000 meters, it's not sorry, not 8,000 meters over over 5,000 meters, it's not the thing to be doing. So we had the we luckily had the guides there who were shouting him, you know, wake up, wake up, you need to head down because if he had gone to sleep, he possibly wouldn't have woken up again. <laughs> so. It was yeah it was this wonderful learning experience again sort of you know getting to getting to the top standing there being on that you know being able to look across the whole of the whole of the continent and just be wow I'm still at the highest point and again you know things I learned from it was just about moving forward breaking things down having that positive attitude and just and just almost believing in yourself that you were going to do it that you were going to uh, going to achieve it and so um yeah, it, it was, it really was a, a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal climb to do. So I would recommend Kilimanjaro for anybody.
1: Sarah, I made it as far as Masay Mara in Kenya and I could see Kilimanjaro from there. I had a clear day and, and I'm a mountain climber. I climb Colorado 14ers and 13ers and all of that, but it wasn't on the schedule to get to Kilimanjaro. So it's one of those things when you see something and you ache for it and then you have to walk away. So I am so jealous Uh, (laughs) that you've done this.
0: I'm sure, I'm sure you'll get there, get there eventually.
1: (laughs) Well, I love your recommendation. I'll just have to set that onto the, into the bucket list and I'll take the whole family and we'll all get to the top of Kilimanjaro. Well,
0: do you felt, what was really lovely is we actually had, uh, there was two brothers and a sister and their parents had actually, uh, their Christmas present was climbing Kilimanjaro because their parents had done it for their honeymoon uh, 23, 24 years um, earlier and they wanted their children to experience, have that same experience and that bonding experience. So it's actually really lovely and I've, I've heard of like a lot of um like couples do it for their honeymoon, and it's it's a it is like a lovely thing, lovely thing to do. So, do you take the whole family? I think they'd love it.
1: Okay, I'm going to put it on the calendar.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs>
2: House of Motorad is Colorado's original adventure motorcycle rental company. From their top-of-the-line fleet of rental motorcycles by BMW, KTM, Triumph, and Yamaha to their expert service shop, they are your one-stop shop for all of your motorcycle needs. Servicing all makes and models from tire changes to engine rebuilds, House of Motorad will take care of you and get you on the road. Visit www.houseofmotorad.com to check out their selection of parts and accessories or call them at 720-466-0047. At House of Motorad, your adventure awaits you. Hey folks, be sure to swing by 180tac.com to check out the 180 stove and the 180 flame camp stoves. These lightweight, compact, multi-fuel stoves are made in the USA and are designed to be fail-proof on your adventure. These stoves offer the flexibility to cook your meal using twigs and sticks found around you or various other fuels like gel fuel, alcohol, charcoal, or even use them as a windbreak and stable cooking service for remote bottle gas stoves. The ingenious locking tab and slot design ensures your stove is very solid and stable without the use of hinges, rivets, or fasteners that can fail you in the field. Visit 180 tack.com to find your next camp stove.
1: So you wrote the book about this and climbing Kilimanjaro. How can people get chalet hosting or climbing Kilimanjaro?
0: If you go onto Amazon and search Sarah Williams um, or Kilimanjaro tips for the top or shallow hosting Your step-by-step guide, the books will come up. The books are also on my website as well. Um, So toughgirlchallenges.com and there's a section on books so you can get them there, but they're really, they're really sort of useful. There's lots of great information and it tells you, you know, little tips and tricks, you know, sort of don't wear your head torch on your head, wrap it around, you and have it hanging from your neck because if you have your head torch too tight, around your head it will give you a headache and and you know little things like that which people may be like some of it's quite sort of basic information and almost like common sense but if you haven't climbed a mountain before if you haven't come from that background then sometimes it's really useful just to say okay well when you get to camp lay your sleeping bag out straight away so you know you can get the air in it and you know all those sorts of things so um yeah so i think you'll enjoy it
1: oh well, that's great and you know we have not talked much about this on the show but now on the com, we do have a bookstore set up, and I'll put the links to your books there. And, oh, fantastic. Yeah, for the listeners, if you go there and click through to Amazon to get a book, then we get a tiny little kickback. Not a lot, but hey, everything adds up, so we appreciate that. So you can go to Amazon directly, you can come to our site, you can go to Sarah's site, that's where you can find these books. Wonderful. So, Sarah, we always like to ask our guests about a time that things didn't go well and that's what adventure is about, right? It's when the unexpected happens and then we have to get through that. And I think sometimes those make the very best stories. So you've done an awful lot of travel and adventures. Do you have a story for us about that?
0: I do, I do actually. So, um, I was just thinking back. So we finished after finishing, um, finishing the marathon to Sarbes. What happens is there's another sort of five-hour coach ride back to the hotel. And it's along these very long, skinny, narrow roads. And I was given advice previously from other people I'd spoken to saying, what you want to do is once you finish the race is get a taxi. Um, it will be, you know, there's four of you. It will be like 50 euros each, but you'll get back in half the time. So I thought this was a fantastic idea because, you know, getting on a coach with 60 others stinky smelly people and then you all ride back at the hotel and you know and trying to check into your rooms it's just an absolute nightmare so we ended up getting I ended up getting a taxi with with two other guys back to our hotel driving along these long narrow skinny roads in Morocco and we went round a corner and our driver had slowed down and there was actually a car coming the other direction going far too fast and it actually ended up slamming into um slamming it well, it was almost a head-on collision but it ended up slamming into like the passenger side doorway scraping down and pushing us off onto this rocky rocky side road bit off the road and i I know and then the guy in the guy in front turned around to check that we were okay and all he could see was a truck barreling towards us and so he was just like shouting right get out of the car get out of the car now which is what we (laughs) say. and it was really odd because you're just acting on autopilot now. So everyone, everyone in the car was absolutely fine. I think it was like a little bit of shock, like, wow, has that really just happened? So we ends up getting out of the car where suddenly, uh, you know, the trucks obviously saw us slowed down. We're stood up, you know, back to the side. So that was all fine. And it was suddenly like, oh, my God, we're in the middle of Rocco. We just finished the Marathon to Saab. So we've now been in a car accident. We're potentially stranded here. And it was just... It was the weirdest thing, and part of me was thinking, "Oh, it's only about sixty kilometers to the to the hotel. I've got my backpack, everything I need. Should we just start running? I don't even know, <laughs> I don't even know where that thought came from." Um, but very luckily, it was one of those situations where, you're like, okay, we don't speak the language. The police are arriving. What do we do? How do we handle it? And what was really lucky is actually a couple a couple drove along, and was just like, "Oh my goodness, are you guys okay?" And we, you know, everyone was fine, and so they ended up giving us um, a lift back to the hotel. So that was quite, that was almost quite shocking because it was almost, it was really surreal because I think I was so tired and I was so exhausted. You almost didn't know how to handle the situation. And it was only sort of later on, you start reflecting back and started thinking, Oh, that could have actually been quite serious. And it was, um, yeah, I think situations like this can, can happen all the time. You know, when things don't go to plan and don't go to expect it and it's almost how you how you react to it and I'll just I'll tell you quite a quick story actually I interviewed this lady called uh called Paris Paris Edwards who's this wonderful triathlete from Great Britain and she shared a story about about the egg and the potato and um and it's all about be the potato sorry be the egg you want to be the egg be the egg and when she started telling me this I was thinking what does she mean be the egg? (laughs) And I don't know if you've heard it before. But no. What she, what she was saying is, you know, there are situations that are outside of your control that there's nothing that you can do about them. And that is like the boiling water. You have no control over temperature. You have no control over what happens. But what you do have control of is you and your thoughts and how you act and you can make the choice so when you put an egg in boiling water and when you put a potato in boiling water two things happen so the potato disintegrates it crumbles with the boiling water it lets the boiling water take over and it just disintegrates and becomes all mushy at the you know in the bottom of the pan now if you're the egg because of that boiling water you get harder and tougher and stronger and stronger and stronger no matter how much you get boiled by that water. And so it's all about realizing that sometimes things aren't going to go well. And there's no point complaining about it. There's no point getting stressed about it. It's thinking, okay, what elements can I control? And you can always control you and your thoughts. And so it is about being that egg. It is about handling yourself in those difficult situations when they don't go to plan and sometimes things don't go to plan and you've always just got to be relaxed and think okay well this is what's happened how do I deal with it what's the next step I'm going to take and so I I, I sort of yeah, I, I think that's a, a wonderful story just to think about. And I got lots of emails out in the desert with people saying to me, Oh, be the egg, be the egg, <laughs> be so, the egg, be the egg. And it's just, um, it's sort of taken off here, especially of my tough girl tribe that, you know, when they hear that, everyone's like, Yeah, I'm the egg, I'm the egg. Or I'm feeling a bit like a potato. I need to be the egg. So yeah,
1: <laughs> that's wonderful. I like that. Be the egg. So for all of these people out there who are hearing our show who maybe want to start adventuring a little bit they need to become the egg more right what advice mm-hmm, yeah. do you have for them what how should they get started sure
0: i think it's all about is it's all about trying different things and finding your passion and your interest you know you may have tried running when you were younger and thought hate it awful but there's you know there's walking or there's cycling or there's triathlons or there's sailing or kayaking or windsurfing it's all about trying different things and it's a great way to meet other people it's a great way to be social it's a great way to be active and trust me there will be something out there that you enjoy doing and once you find it and just go for it and it doesn't matter where you start off it doesn't matter whether it's a tiny little step it's about taking that first step and the first step is always difficult it's always difficult to build up that momentum but once you get going you'll honestly look back and not realize even how far how far you've actually come I mean I was chatting to a lady called Susie Chan and um who's this incredible ultra runner but 10 years ago she was a single mum who smoked she drank she was a couch potato and she just wasn't living her life she was just existing and she that all changed when her brother dragged her along to a half marathon was like no we're going to do this half marathon she she did this half marathon and she started to fall in love with running and gradually you know her distances got further she got faster and a couple of months ago she actually got the world record for running sixty miles on a treadmill in twelve hours. Wow. And yeah, and it's and it it's everybody starts somewhere. You you know, you don't go out and just become an incredible ultra endurance athlete or go and climb the highest mountain you see. It's about taking those baby steps, first of all, and just building it up, build up your confidence. But the key thing is, you have to start, you have to take action. You can't just keep thinking about it. You've just gotta get out there and go
1: for it. Oh, that's Good advice and very inspirational and i thank you for that it's a perfect way to sum it all up and end the show for us so sarah congratulations again on marathon to sob thank
0: you very much
1: that was a, a wonderful story about that race we appreciate that and thank you for being on the adventure sports podcast
0: oh you're welcome thank you for having me
1: and to all of our listeners out there as always get out there and have some fun